0: Let's do this. Before we get going, I just want to pray. Um, I love teaching God's Word, and, but I believe that apart from the Spirit of God, we can't learn anything. And so let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get going this morning. Father, we love you so much. And God, those songs that we sing aren't just songs that we do to get us into a mood. They're songs that we sing to tell you how incredible you are. And now, God, I pray that off the pages of your Word would come the incredibleness of who you are, the awesomeness of who you are, that, uh, that God, we would thrill at living in the reality that we know the king of kings and lord of lords the creator of this universe and so uh, give us grace today in your precious name me pray amen first of all it's good to be here um you guys don't realize this but we pray for you every week um the elders get together and in praying for you one of our main goals is just that all of you would be this body of people that represents jesus christ well i think the goal of scripture if you look at it is really that the model of the church is that all of you coming together, bringing to bear how the Spirit has empowered you, being guided by the Word of God, are to be this group of people that are Jesus Christ in this world. And if you look at it in the book of John, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But 1 Corinthians 12 is very clear that we're supposed to be able to understand that if you have seen the church, you've seen Jesus. Because we are his body, we are the extension of who he is. And so we pray for you guys, we pray for all our church plants. Um, uh, it's actually, it's really fun, I'm, this is my first trip to Ohio. I've been able to go to all the other church plants, and uh, I just happened to be speaking out in Indiana, so I'm like, I called Tony, I'm like, dude, can I come? I just want to be here, and he's like, no, it's fine, I'll let you be here. But I just, I am, this is like a thrill to see just an answer to prayer of a group of people that are seeking to love the Lord your God. So, Here's where we're going to go this morning. Um, I think as I've been spending time with people, and especially in this economic downturn, there's been a reality of people searching for significance. I mean, they're like trying to figure out what is my goal in life, what's my meaning in life, what am I supposed to be about? And everybody's doing it at their own way and at their own place. Um, I'll talk to a young person. Uh, They're trying to decide whether they go to college. Where are they going to go to college? Well, a college that will give them the most significance. Somebody just getting out of college is looking for a job. And what job are they looking for? The job that will give them the most significance. I've looked around at moms, and moms either decide to or not to have children for significance. And in a weird way, sometimes when moms choose to have babies trying to find this awkward significance that kids are going to give me, they're only disappointed because they all of a sudden realize these things cry all night, and then they turn into teenagers. And it's just that's the reality that they live with. And if that's where they're trying to find their significance, that's the frustration they're going to live in. Dads find their significance in their work. Man, dads do. Because sometimes we don't find it at home. Uh, We come home and we expect our little cherubs to come up to us and our wife to bring us our pipe and our smoking jacket. And uh, we walk in and they don't. And in fact, every morning dads wake up and hand out the scripts on how the day is supposed to go to the family. And they don't hold to the script. So we don't find significance. People that are later in life are looking forward to uh, this thing called retirement. Boy, that one got shot out the door, didn't it? In just a little bit of time, man, everyone's 4 okay k went... And you just looked around and realized that life wasn't going where we were supposed to. I was supposed to finish my life in significance playing golf. That was my goal in life. By the way, I love golf, and so I'm not mocking golf. But it's just this thing in which we're always searching for significance. The thing that strikes me as odd, though, is that we don't go to the text of Scripture and ask, What is significance? And significance all has to do, and if you look at it from the very beginning, significance started from the moment that God spoke this world into existence. When he spoke it into existence, he said, I will determine what is significance and what is not significant. It's not your job to determine significance. It's God's job to determine significance. And then it's your job to join him in what he's doing to determine that significance. A lot of times we hear these words like, I'm just trying to find God's will for my life. And so everybody's out going around, wandering around like they're the Easter bunny and God has somehow hidden his will underneath this mulberry bush and everybody's like, and God's in heaven going warmer, warmer, colder, 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 right? I mean, it's just this awkward thing that we do in our search for significance. Here's the thing though, and this is kind of where I'm going to go today and we'll, then we'll dive into the text. You don't have to find Significance. That's the greatest thing that I have learned in my walk with the Lord. I don't have to find significance. I have to find God. And when I find God, it's an incredible thing how the significance finds me. Because what happens is, is I start to align myself with God. I start to realize significance doesn't come from this life and what it has to offer. Significance comes from how as I join God in this world and what he's doing, suddenly I start to find a contentment and a thrill like I've never found. Now, we're going to build it out of this. From the very beginning, if I drew this huge line over on this side, from the very beginning, God created this world, and we all know that He created it for what purpose? Why did He create it? Because He was bored? He created it, and we know everything within it has the fingerprint of God, and it is to reflect Him accurately. That's what He created it for. He He created this so that a group of people us being humans, might enjoy who he is. We might now absolutely glorify him, and glorify is a weird word, but it's this idea of now all of a sudden we ascribe to him his worth. He created it for that purpose. Now we know Adam and Eve fell, and when Adam and Eve fell, we now know it got marred, and they joined another story that was created by Satan even before that, in which he decided this story will no longer be about God, it's going to be about who? Me. I'm going to make this story about me. Now, when I was a youth pastor in Wyoming, uh, that's where I'm from, which people always, Wyoming is this little tiny state, in case you were wondering. Most people don't know where it's at, in the middle of the country. And nothing happens in Wyoming. And all of a sudden, they were going to shoot a movie called Starship Troopers, which I wouldn't recommend you watch. Terrible movie. But a guy got into the movie, so all of us are like, "Oh, we're gonna go watch it." Because in Wyoming, nothing, nothing ever happens. So we're watching this whole movie the whole way through, and, and everybody's sitting there. And, and Dan's the guy that was in the movie, and he's like, "Not yet. No, 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 not yet. It's till the end." And we're watching this whole stupid movie. Finally, gets to the end, and all of a sudden, he screams and goes, "Am I ready? To come on!" And all of us are like sitting, waiting at the TV for him to come on. And it's this section with all these soldiers going, ah, "Right." And so we're watching, we're watching, and all of a sudden it pans past, there's Dan in this movie. And we hit pause, and everybody's just like, yeah, we're screaming for Dan. And everybody's looking, there he is. And he goes, no, I'm once more. He goes, hit play. So we hit play, and it kind of goes around again, and it comes back to him. Now, in a weird way, from the fall, when we were marred, one of the realities of the fall is that we realized this story is about me so therefore generally when people say i want to know god's will we really don't want to know god's will what we want to know is we want to know what makes me happy right everybody's trying to be happy and we started off and now this story took a divergence from the fall in which god had designed it in such a way that we would find our significance in him and people from that point on decided to make this story all about them and if you go to the book of Romans, go there with me real quick, because that's where we're going to be today. This story of God is played out throughout this book. And in Romans 1.18, he's he just come off this idea of the gospel, and he's going to build this idea of what happens when we decide to make this story about me. Now, the significance in one eighteen, especially to the end of chapter 1, is this. When you make this story about you, God will give you over and God will give you over and God will give you over until the ramifications are you are now trapped in your sin. The other day I was sitting there with a young man who I'd met as a, as a, uh, a kid that came to our church. He came in awfully different. And that was because he was a young man that decided to make the story about him. And in making the story about him, he went down the path of drugs. When he went down the path of drugs, it was just this spiraling effect that the book of Proverbs talks about. That This young man that's naive pretty soon becomes a mocker, and then he hits the bottom as a fool, and he's trapped in it. He's trapped down in this world that is now, you find, you want your world, there you go, have it. And God gives us over, and God gives us over. There's another group of people that maybe aren't that fool that that get to the point of of walking through that, but there's this this moralist in chapter 2 if you look down at it. This person that looks out at the world and sets a standard whereby which everyone else is supposed to live at to be able to find significance. The problem is by setting that standard up there, they can't even live to it. And in a weird way then, that points out the fact that they're choosing to live their own story. Chapter 3 is about this group of people called the Jews. The Jews were given the very oracles of God and God designed them in such a way that they would live it out by faith. And in living it out by faith now, they would find their significance in how they chose by faith to live out how God had created them as a people. Not only that, but when you get to chapter 4, he starts to talk about, well, what does this faith look like? Well, in Abraham, he says, look, this is what this faith looks like. Not only do we learn about Abraham in chapter 4, but in chapter 5, we learn about Adam Chapter 6, we learn about the flesh and the spirit. Chapter 7, this whole do-do passage, things I want to do, I don't do, the things I do do, I wish I didn't do. Chapter 8, we learn about the spirit and the flesh. Chapter 9, we learned about how Israel is this whole group of people that they missed the point. So God gave them over to just absolute debauchery in which their, country, their, their nation fell. And then finally in chapter 12 is where I want to be today. How do I find significance? And this is what Paul says. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good acceptable and perfect. Now when he starts off that word therefore what do we do when we see the word therefore in the text what are we supposed to do? What's the word therefore? What do we do with that? What's the therefore? Therefore. Good. When you're, when you're ever studying the scriptures, that when you get to this word therefore, the first thing you do is you ask, what is the therefore therefore? And all of it points back to everything. Now the word therefore points back into chapter 11, at the very end of chapter 11. At the very end of chapter 11, it's all of this praise of Paul looking back at everything he's written about this gigantic plan of God. This plan in which God in eternity past set it out and stage that he was going to choose to make for himself a people, a people of his own possession, and he was going to do it in such a way that by faith this group was going to be aligned in such a way that will bring him the most glory. And he says, look, based upon that, based upon the fact that this story is not about you, and based upon these mercies of a God that even though every one of us in this room, and we know this, we have offended a holy, and a perfect and an infinite God, and therefore we deserve a holy and an infinite and a perfect punishment. God created a plan, though, whereby which now, out of these mercies, I can now draw near to this God, Hebrews 10, and in drawing near to Him now, I can join Him in what He's doing on this planet. And so Paul says, therefore, based upon these mercies, here's what I want you to do. Do you really want to live a life in which you are choosing to find God, which now finds significance? And this is what he says. He says, I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifices. Now, that word sacrifice is the key, and we know from the Old Testament, when somebody would grab a sacrifice is that we would grab our little lamb, and specifically the Passover, this lamb that had lived with us for many years, it was our little pet almost, or for a year, then we would hold it, and it was perfect, and it was blemishless, and finally dad would grab a knife and do what you do with a knife, and little lamb would go, bad, no more. Now, in our world, aren't we disconnected from death? I grew up on a ranch and a farm where things died all the time. My dad was the kind of guy that when you had a stray dog, it was a stray dog no more. When you had kittens, they were kittens no more. When you had this stuff, I mean, it's just on the farm. You would wake up in the morning and there would be the bull that was outside that's now dead that's hanging there. And it's just dead and it's the blood is draining out of it. Sorry, there's kids in here. But it's this thing we are so disconnected from death. We don't understand what death looks like anymore. I'll never forget the first time I really saw death is, is in Wyoming you, you hunt a lot and I don't know what it's like out here, but that's what you would go do with grandpa. And he took me out and I remember it was my first time going goose hunting. And we went out and we got in the pit, you know, and grandpa's out in the pit and we're crack calling the geese in and, and I'm just like oh, I'm sitting there with my gun and, and and then all of a sudden my grandpa who's this like total like lethargic. You know, and my heartbeat just going, bullet, 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 and all of a sudden I hear him say, go get him, which meant shoot like crazy. So I get up, you know, and I'm just bang, 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 bang. I didn't know what I was doing, and I hit a goose. <laughs> Except everyone else's geese fell. Mine kind of went, you know, did a crash landing, you know, and, I, man, I just wounded it. And so then my grandpa looked at me, and he said, well, go get it. So I walk out there to go get it, and I remember this goose. I mean, when and when you're like... When you're 12 years old, a goose looks huge, you know, but it's just, I go out and I'm going to grab it and it's like, it's making this nasty sound and I just didn't want to grab the goose, you know, so I'm like, all of a sudden my grandpa gets out of the pit, he walks up, you know, and I'm sitting there, he just goes wham and he grabs it by the neck and I'm like, and he went to wring its neck and the goose flew one way and its head was still in his hand and I'm sitting there like, and the goose is just running around like crazy. That was my first experience with death. Now when Paul says, I want you to be a sacrifice, what he's calling us to do is to be a group of people that dies. We die. Now the thing that you should notice is, is he calls you to be a living dead thing. That's a contradiction. He says, I want you to be a living sacrifice, an alive, dead thing. And so what does he mean? Go with me to Galatians two two twenty. Let me show you what he means. Galatians two twenty says this Those of us that have come to know Christ, verse twenty, have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live look at this but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me in this battle to find out what is our life to be about let me tell you the first thing that you got to do you got to die Now, obviously, we're not talking physically because we're not all trying to commit mass suicide. That's not what we're talking about. But literally, the goal of my life is that Todd might die and Christ might live. That's the first thing he's going to lay out. If you honestly want to know what this life is about, because you know every day you wake up, don't we wake up thinking, me, 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 me? When the alarm goes off, why do you hit snooze? Because I want more time to sleep for... Me. My daughter comes in at 6.30 every morning. She is my alarm clock. And some mornings it's cute. Some mornings it's not. Even her cute little face sitting there on the side of the bed going, Hi, Daddy. Some mornings I kiss it, and some mornings it's like, Duh. Why? Because it's about me. The biggest struggle you have is not all the things around you. Everybody always tries to make it about somebody else. Usually the wife makes it about the husband, and the husband makes it about the wife, and the parents make it about the kids, and the kids make it about the parents. Your biggest problem is you, period. The Bible is so clear about that. And the thing that we must do on a continual basis, and in fact this idea of being a living sacrifice is, is I have to wake up every single day and decide that Todd will die. And even Paul in 2 Corinthians said this. He says, I die how often? Daily. Now he was speaking from one connotation, but the idea that he was speaking about is that Paul, as in and of himself, is dead. And the idea out of the Old Testament was is I've got to take myself as this sacrifice in front of God and I've got to choose every day to say, God, it is not about me. This story is not about me. This story is all about you. And today I choose to not make this story about me. I choose to make it about you. So therefore, whatever comes into my life, I won't be disappointed because this story is not about me. You wrote the script today. My job is to join you. See, the reason that people tend to be so frustrated in life is because we think this is about us. In California, we have these things called freeways. They were made by Satan himself. (laughs) And you get out on the freeway, and you have this wide open lane. I mean, you're just like, oh, and you're just cruising down the freeway. And then all of a sudden, that one guy has the audacity to come into your lane. And you're like, dude. There's like three others. Don't you understand this is my lane? Did you not get the script this morning? Did you not understand everyone is supposed to get out of my way? Now, if today I realize, though, that things are supposed to get in my way because God is going to bring trials into my life, because His goal is not that I would be happy, His goal that I would be conformed to the image of His Son, He's going to put all kinds of roadblockers in my life, and now instead of getting upset, I'm going to start to understand that those roadblockers are there for a strategic purpose. That is to shape Todd into the image of His Son, because Todd must die and Jesus must live. See, now things aren't disappointing anymore, are they? Anything from the small things of that jerk that pulls into your lane clear up to what could be a huge thing, which a friend of ours just lost their four-year-old. Now, how do you walk a parent through that? You walk them through that, and hopefully the goal is is that they will understand that this story is not about them, and that God is going to take that four-year-old dying, and He's going to use it for a purpose, which is His story. He talks about that. Now, not only are we supposed to be a living sacrifice, but the other sacrifice, if you look down in the text, is is not only are we supposed to be living, but we're supposed to be holy. Now, I love this word holy because it's a word that we, I don't think, understand anymore. The word holy means to be set apart, it means to be different, it means to be distinct, it means to be not like the world. Now, for years and years, what we've been doing is we have been creating a chasm between us and the world, but the chasm that we've created has been almost a weird moralistic chasm. We've created this idea of they do these things and we do these things, and we've set apart ourselves not by now our changedness or what we look like in Jesus Christ, but in a lot of ways what the church has done is we've put upon ourselves this legalistic code, and we said, if you live this way, you're a Christian, if you live this way, you're not. Now, does the Bible lay that out? Yes, it does. But I think God was more concerned not about this way in which we, we cram our lives into a system, and He's much more concerned about our heart. Way back in Ezekiel, if you look back in Jeremiah, God was not trying to sit there and shape a people from the outside. He was looking to shape a people from where? Where? inside see even jesus when he's dealing with the with the pharisees is one of the things that he did was is you guys do a great job of cleaning the outside of the cup but you clean the outside of the cup and the problem is still not the outside the problem is where inside the cup he said if you clean the inside of the cup that'll make the whole cup clean And so in a weird way, what we've done is we've put these moralistic standards and forgot that my job is not to change the outside to create a behavior modification. My job is to get to the heart of the person, including myself, so that now it won't be behavior modification, but it will be transformations that we'll talk about later. I think we do that in parenting. We do it in parenting in all kinds of ways. We take our kids and we want them to be a certain way, don't we? We want them to be this this person that we've destined in our head of what they're supposed to be like. And so we sit there and we shape and we mold them into the story that we want them to be about. And then we wonder why they are getting frustrated. We don't look at them and say, oh, my job is not to shape them this way. My job is to join God in the transformation of a heart. Now, do I understand that a two-year-old sometimes needs a spanking? Oh, yes, do I. I have two of them. And every once in a while, we've got to help in shaping them by helping them understand not the back of this, but who God is. See, the thing that we forget is that when we discipline our children, we're teaching them not who Todd is, but we're teaching them who God is. We're trying to show them and mold them and shape them. In other words, we're trying to join God in such a way that they would get an accurate picture of Him. And the only accurate picture they'll have understand as God the Father is that if my daughter and my son first understand Todd as father. And out of that them, they're going to get an accurate view of God. Now this word holy is interesting. Go with me to Malachi. Let me show you what I mean by holy. Because I think a lot of times we miss it. Malachi 1. Verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, How have we despised your name? He said, By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, How have we polluted you? By saying, The Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that unevil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. See, this word holy doesn't have just walking through the motions of life, it means that God has my heart. Holiness has everything to do with the heart. And so therefore, it's not just about me manipulating the situation or doing these rote things just by showing up on a Sunday or getting involved with a life group or just going through the motions of life. In other words, God doesn't want just part of me. God wants all of me. That means all of my money. That means all of my time. That means all of my energy. That means everything. And what generally tends to happen is I wake up in the morning at the very end of the day or else in this little shadowy time somehow, I give God what's left over and God says, I don't play that game at all. That's not holiness. The next one he talks about the sacrifice says, not only does it have to be living and holy, but he says it has to be acceptable. Now the term acceptable was used in the Old Testament of this idea that when a priest would come and if it was done in a right way, it was done in such a way that it honored God and God accepted it. Now we all know from the Old Testament the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would first purify himself. He would make himself holy. He would consecrate himself. He would walk through the exact ritual that was supposed to be walked through and then he would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would enter in with a bell on him and a rope tied to his leg. Why? Because he was going to make petition in this place whereby which the Spirit of God dwelt and they were going in to commune with God and make atonement for the sins. That word acceptable is so key. The only life that God accepts is one that I am dying and one that I am being holy, that he has my heart. Any other life, God does not accept. Look at it way back with Adam and Eve. They decided to make the story about them. They chose to join themselves with Satan. They chose to join. And joining with him now, all of a sudden they questioned God, God's word, God's purpose and plan. When you get to Noah, God told him to build a boat. He didn't question God, didn't question God's word, didn't question God's purpose and plan. He was saved. All his other people died. Abraham joined God, believed God, believed God's word, believed God's purpose and plan follow that all the way through that when i make my life about god god's word god's purpose and plan and i align myself in such a way i can know that i'm acceptable to god the problem is though is that we like to live it about me and every time i live it about me in any kind of a way i jolt myself i turn myself out of the story of god i start to reflect god improperly and that is not acceptable to god now look at it this way. Let me ask you this. What is God's purpose and plan right now? What is it? It's okay. I, I, feedback. Feedback. What is God's purpose and plan? Dude, you've got to be better than this. I'm just kidding. No, I... <laughs> what is God's purpose and plan? Okay, good. Now we throw that term around. What does that mean right now in today's world? Because I agree with you. Very good. You, get, you pass. But what does it mean, though? Right now, how is God glorifying himself? Oh, who said that? Oh, you get free dinner today, Tony. He's going to buy you free dinner. Congratulations. What does that mean through his church? Okay. And he's building it. True. Good. Good. We are this display of Christ to the world. Now, think about this for a second. How many of you woke up this week and your alarm went off and you did this? Today, I'm joining Jesus in the building of his church. Honestly, how many of you thought that? I'm guessing not many people woke up and went. Wake your wife up. Honey, guess what we're doing today? We're going to build the church of Jesus. We're joining Jesus in the building of his church in all kinds of exciting ways. We're going to bring our money and time and everything to bear because that's what is acceptable to God. See, the problem is we don't think that. Because every day we wake up with who on our mind? Me. And then look how he says that in Romans 12. I love how he goes in after that. He says, this is your spiritual worship. Now, what have we made worship in the church today? Singing. Why have we made singing worship? Why? It's it's easy, what? It makes us feel, oh, don't we love it? I, I know, I know if I go to, I speak to high school students a lot. And I know the right worship leader. And I know exactly when kids are going to raise their hands. You know, the song's playing and all of a sudden it's building. And all of a sudden all their hands just go, oh, and they come up in the air. You know why? Because we, it's number one, it's easy. And number two, we can manipulate people with it incredibly. We know how to work them through the emotions. of. Isn't music powerful? Like, think about it. One of my favorite movies of all time is Old Yeller. And you know at the very end, how the music just shifts right before Old Yeller gets killed, and you're sitting there like, "Don't kill Old Yeller," you know? And you're just ready to cry. Imagine if they removed the music. Go shoot the dog. You know, I mean, it's just it's this thing in which, <laughs> though, he, he, the music just builds it. And I mean, my wife is this person that just gets into movies because she is a music nut. And so the moment the music starts, dun, 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 you know, she's sitting there clutching my my leg, you know, just excited. We've made music that, because now music is a powerful tool that's used by God, but that is only one aspect of worship. Worship, true worship, is when God's people join Him in His purpose and plan in the building of His church. That is worship. This group of people in here, a church, your whole goal and desire is to line yourselves up. And you look at that First Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, is that there's this group of people now, you are to become this congealed unit whereby which all of you are living dead things that are holy and acceptable and in joining together your worship is the building of God's church, joining Jesus in the building of his church. And in fact, if you look at 12, 3 and following, that's what it's all about how this group of people joins together to build his church. Now, if you choose to make your life about not building God's church, you are choosing to say to God, I am going to make the story about who? Me. That's our job. Isn't that nice? Doesn't that take the pressure off? Did you know today that's all you had to do is build the church? Guess what you have to do tomorrow? Build the church. Guess what you do the next day? Join God in building the church. Well, yeah, but I got a job. I know, at your job, guess what the purpose of your job is? To do what? Build the church. Yeah, but I go to school. Guess what your purpose in school is? To build the church. And in fact, if you look at it, what are the consequences of saying to God, I'm going to do my own thing biblically? What are the consequences? Adam and Eve, what was their consequence? Death, separation from God. If you walk it through, every time a group of people said, skip you, God, I'm doing my own thing, the consequences are massive. We wonder why churches are lethargic, because they've stopped building what? The church. We've stopped being these hands and feet to this group of people, whereby which we're an expression to of who God is. This group no longer congeals and understands that this group right here, do you understand you're going to spend eternity together? You are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. When's the last time, though, you honestly thought about each other? Do you understand that your spiritual family is more significant than your physical family? Biblically, why? I have two little wonderful kids, but they're little reprobates. I don't know yet if they're going to choose to. Jo- I don't know yet if they're going to follow Jesus Christ. Do I love them? Sure, I do, to death. But at this point, they are not as significant as my spiritual family because the eternal is always more important than the temporal. Now, most people don't congeal their lives that way because they really don't believe that. And in a weird way, what we've told God is, is we've said, no, I'm going to do it my own way. So that's the first thing he does. Now, here's the next thing he does, verse 2, in finding significance. Not only that, verse 2 but be transformed, oops, but do not be conformed to this world. Now, the word conformed is really interesting. Um, I was in Mexico one time, and I don't know if you've ever seen the ladies that can that make pottery. Amazing. Like, I go to Mexico just to watch them. My wife goes to haggle. Um, she goes down there to buy things. <clears throat> I think most of that stuff is junk, and it'll fall apart anyway, so I don't know why she buys it. But there was this one lady one time I'm watching, and she just, she's got her foot going like this, and she takes the piece of clay, you know, and she's a funk, and it's just spinning. And I'm like, shut up. And she grabs that thing, and she's like. And I'm just the whole time mesmerized, like, you know, I'm a total guy just blown away by it. And she just shapes it and molds it and conforms it, and she makes it exactly how she wants it. Now, that word conform is the same thing. And literally, there's a command that says, do not let this world shape you. If you really want to be about God's story, if you really want to find God first so that significance might find you, you have to tell this world and its system, no. Now, generally what we mean by that is, say no to drugs, sex, and rock and roll. We tell our kids that. Don't date girls that do any of those things. Stay away from those girls. And so we've kept those bad things out. I mean, I was a youth pastor boy, and we had every single kid involved in true love weights. We're working them through, don't have sex, and we're helping them keep rock and roll out of their life. And we're doing all these different things, and we missed the reality that on the front end, there was this group that that didn't sneak in, but guess what else snuck in? These nasty little things, which is called greed, snuck into our kids' lives. And we taught them about this thing called the American Dream. Now, the American dream, on one level, we would say, is, there's, a, there's a good side to it. And we're like, oh, okay, that's nice. There's another side of the American dream, though, that says it is about who? Me. I have certain inalienable rights. I have this. I have that. And underneath it now, we told kids, you deserve to go to a good college. And so now, all of a sudden, kids are designing their lives to go to these great colleges to be able to get What? Well, to be able to get that white house with the red door and the white picket fence and that swing sitting there dangling in the yard and the dog and the cat and the two-and-a-half kids, all of that is designed, and they're shooting after that goal. Now, the difficult thing for us as Americans is, do you find it here? Honestly. See, the difficulty of saying no to the world is it's easy to say no to things that we don't like. It's very difficult to say no to the things, though, that so pull us into it. And in fact, we've made our life about that, and we've made our life about retiring because we want to retire, and we want to have a home, and we want to be on a golf course because that would be my, like, absolute just dream, living off the 16th, so I never had, to, I could just play 16, 17, and 18 and walk back. And that's how I want to spend the rest of my life. But in this book, think about how awful that is. Think about how terrible it is to make that the goal of my life when that has nothing to do with building God's church. No, no, I, uh, I share my faith on the 17th. Sure you do. It's this thing in which, though, we've found our comfort and our satisfaction in these things in which the world says, just do them. And in a weird way, what they do is they suck us out into him, and they get, Satan gets us right where he wants us, and he gets us recreating and playing and comfort and safety and security. And once he gets us out there, pretty soon, he totally takes us out of what we're to be doing and what we're to find satisfaction in, which is the building of God's church. Now, it's very subtle in how this story happens. And it happens so slowly and so incrementally that pretty soon now, we don't even view it as something that's deviating us from the story. In fact, he does. If you ever watch commercials, how did they get us to buy a car? You ever seen that? Oh, boy. First of all, for guys, they put a hot woman in there, don't they? And they have it going a million miles an hour with your hair on fire. And they usually use music that's like, you know, and the guys are sitting there going, must have, must, must have. Or else we put it on this thing at the top of a mountain conquering the world. For my wife, right, lately, we just entered the world of the minivan. She just wanted comfort, and she wanted ease of life. Now, is there anything wrong with that in themselves? No. But in a weird way, we begin to be driven by that kind of a thing. And in fact, as I work with high school students, the one thing I've found is, is because they've made their life about that, Right now, I'm watching students that have nothing by which they're focused on. They're still 25 playing Xbox and living in mom and dad's house. Why? Because you don't build the church playing Xbox, sitting in mom and dad's house, but they were taught from the very beginning. I remember ColecoVision and Atari. And so therefore, they're just mind numb, and that's the world that they live in. They're constantly looking for the next pleasure that's going to satiate them. And that is what the world is telling them. And one of the things that we have to do, and I'll tell you this, one of the goals of Cornerstone in, in, in Simi Valley, is that parents start to model the, 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 what it means to build the church for their kids. What does, that look, what does that look like? Now, he's going to walk through and say, don't be conformed. But then he's going to go into this amazing thing, be transformed by the renewing your mind. Now, here's the deal on this. The one thing you've got to understand is is God is after your mind because He knows once He gets your mind, He has all of you. Now that first verb, conformed, is literally this idea in present tense I'm to constantly tell the world no. The next word, transformed, is also a present tense word except it's a passive word which means I am to allow God to do this to me and the question I have to ask is how does God do that to me? Go to, to Romans 13. Stay there and let me show you how God does this to me. Romans 13. He's walked through 12 and 13, and his final verse that he lays out for us in chapter 13 is this. Actually, let's start up in 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk proper in the day, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. In other words, do not be conformed to this world. But look how he talks about being transformed. But... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, cut off anything that will allow yourself to gratify the flesh. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, just the book over, 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 14, he says, Look, the natural person does not accept the the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Look at this word. But, Romans 13, when we put on Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So the question is, is how do I put on Christ? Go with me to Ephesians 5. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5. Paul in verses 15, chapter 5, verses 15 and following, is talking about this idea, do not be conformed to this world, is fifteen through 7, verses 15 through 17 in chapter 5. And then in verse 18... He says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery. In other words, do not be conformed to this world. And then he's going to use this word, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled is this idea, is to line your sails up in such a way as to fill them. Your job is to line your sails up. God's job is to move you. In other words, that word that's used there, plerao, is what they would do is, is that captains that were on ships would sit there and their whole goal was to get their sails as full as possible. And so they would set their sails in such a way that it would fill their sails to the most so that their ship could move at the fastest speed. Your job in this life is to literally set your sails in such a way whereby which God can push you because it's a passive thing. You can't push yourself forward. But your job is is to set your sails in such a way that as God pushes you, you are pushed to the maximum. And then the question is, how do I do it? Well, a a parallel passage is in Colossians 3. Let me show you how to do that. Colossians 3. We're bouncing around here, but stick with me. In 12 through 15 in, in Colossians 3... He's talking about what it means to not be conformed to this world. And then in verse 16, he says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, growing up, I went through Awana. I can still sing the song today. Hail I'm much you see. I, I had it sitting there bobbing. How far did you make it? God bless you, my child. <laughs> but what they did was they taught us to memorize Scripture, boy. And we memorized it and memorized it. Now, I'm a highly competitive person. Sports was my life. And so really, I wasn't memorizing Scripture for any other purpose other than the fact that I was highly competitive and I wanted jewels in my crown. I didn't realize that the jewels in the crown that I was searching for was not my sparky uniform, but actually was jewels in heaven. But that's okay. At this point in my life, I just wanted the jewels in my crown. So what happened was is I took those in, but how much of those did I remember. Well, the one thing I still remember to this day is, Hail Iwana. That's all I remember from Iwana. And I remember my little jacket and my uniform, and I remember the games that we played. But if you ask me to this day, what do I remember, I really don't remember anything because the one thing, now, this is, this is not to pick on Iwana. This was my Sunday school. This was everything that I grew up in. They wanted me to, to memorize, but they didn't teach me something very important, which is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, that word to dwell in you richly has everything to do with I am a gigantic meat lover. And when I eat a steak, it's not just to put something in my mouth. That's how I eat a hot dog. When I eat a steak, and especially I love a T-bone, in that one side of the T-bone that's so juicy, and I cut it, and I put it in my mouth, and I just enjoy it. Right now, your mouth should be watering. I just let it dwell in my mouth richly. And I grab the next bite, and I let it dwell in my mouth richly. See, out of the Old Testament, the idea of meditate that David used was not that we would cram Scripture into our head. When he said, hide God's Word in your heart, he did not mean just cram it full of a bunch of things. In other words, I am to learn this process of allowing it to meditate because as I meditate, there's a transformative work in which the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and begins to change what? My mind and to make me different. And as that process begins to happen, the thing that starts to happen to me as I let it dwell in me richly is I begin to look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. And I begin to now trim my sails in such a way because as Todd starts to look more and more like Jesus Christ, he's opening those sails up and for the first time now, he's being projected at the pace that God wants him to. In other words, my job at the end of it is not to look like what Americans tell me to look like or Russians or whoever group that I live in. My job is to look like Jesus, even if that does stick out from the rest of the world. And that means I'm to treat my money like Jesus would, my time like Jesus would. Everything is to come into conformity because I know that once I've trimmed my sails to look like Jesus, God is pushing me exactly where I want, He wants me to go, and He's putting me into significance like He designed me to be in. Now, the thing about this this issue, though, of being pushed forward is that it really now points back to, though, everything we covered in verse 1, which means Todd has to die. Now, look what happens after that. Verse 12, Romans. If I'm willing to do this, if I'm willing to walk through this process of telling Todd no and God absolutely yes, In every aspect of my life, he says, finally, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, or in other words, what is significant in life. Am I really lining my life up with God's story? And then he says these words, good, acceptable, and perfect. See, I think a lot of people don't believe that if I honestly line my life up this way, if I choose to join God in this story in the way he's designed me to, that it will be good, that it will be acceptable, that it will be perfect. In other words, those three Greek words are used to be in this idea. It will be the life that God designed you to live. Everything about it. I remember one time I was at a store, and a little kid was there with her grandpa. And it was in Simi Valley, and... We walk up there to the to the thing, and I'm waiting for my turn. And all of a sudden, the girl, she looks at Grandpa and starts grabbing on his shirt, and she goes, Grandpa, gumball. And you could just see Grandpa's, like, going to give her anything she wants. You know what I'm talking about? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sweetie, just a second. Grandpa needs to pay for the groceries. And so he's paying for what he's got to pay for, and he gets all done. And, and I'm watching him walk over to the gumball machine, and they get over to the gumball machine, and she goes, quarter, 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 quarter. And he, I can tell him he looks in his pocket, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, no. He looks around, and you know those times at the grocery store where the lines go forever and ever and ever, and you're like, okay, I ain't going back through that line to get a quarter. And so he's reaching in, he pulls out his wallet, and I'm just, I'm fascinated by what's happening. And he's, I can see him looking in going, oh, crud, what am I going to give her? And I can see that look on his face like, oh, no, I don't have a $1 bill. I don't have a $5 bill. I don't have a $10 bill. All I have is a 20 <laughs> And he pulls it out, and he goes, well, you know What? He's trying to explain it to her, you know, that I don't have a quarter, but look, I'll give you this, and, and, and we'll take it home. We'll save our money. And he's talking about all these different things. And what does this little girl do? I want a quarter. I mean, she just was like, grrr. And I can see grandpa's kind of like getting embarrassed, you know. So he's looking around like, hey, you know. And he, I can see him like trying to talk to her. And I'm just imagining him saying, no, no, baby, you don't understand. There's all kinds of quarters, and this 20. <laughs> just don't, don't throw a fit anymore. And she just fell to the ground. And she's going to throw a fit. Now, at that point, I wanted to join him, and I wanted to spank her for him, but I, I didn't. And, and, and so I could just see him, you know, trying to get her up, and he's embarrassed, as he's trying to get her up, and, he, and he's sitting there trying to explain it to her. Now, in a weird way, I believe that's us so many times. When I say these things like the American dreams, I can tell some of you are like, whoa, dude, back off. Retirement around a golf course, whoa, dude, back off don't mess with that one. Don't mess with my life. Don't mess with how I have it. Don't mess with these different things that I have because I like my life. I like how it's situated. Me, 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 me. Because we really don't honestly believe that if we take and we just abandon our life as we know it, we honestly don't believe that it could be way more amazing than we ever imagined. Because we like it. We like it being safe and comfortable and secure. But have you ever thought about it? Where in the Bible do you see that Christians are supposed to be safe and comfortable and secure? When is that supposed to happen? When the new heavens and the new earth are put on here. Up to that point, we are to be the greatest risk takers on this planet. We're to be this group of people that lives in such a way, in such a reckless way, that that is the way we distinguish ourselves from the world. See, the difference between me and the rest of the world is that I have a resurrection. See, I don't think we believe that the resurrection will be better than this life. I think we're trying to suck everything we can out of this life because a lot of us believe when we think heaven, it's like this ethereal place when we'll stand up there and we'll all be doing harps and singing and we'll be like, I don't want to go there. We don't understand, though, that this is merely a shadow of what God has for us and a group of people that's willing to give up everything here is so distinct from the rest of the world that that is the distinction we're supposed to set ourselves between them and the rest of the world. That's why the Bible is constantly talking about this group of martyrs. And in fact, one of the prayers that my wife and I have for our children is that we will raise kids that honestly will recklessly abandon their life for the life to come. We're praying that if our God calls our kids to go be martyrs on the mission field, God send them. Because I honestly believe that if my kids get to the point where they're willing to sacrifice their life here, they'll understand it because Jesus Christ said, those choosing to give up their life here will what? Find life later. But I don't think we believe that. The Bible talks about this, and Romans 12 is not about me finding the best life, or what is uh, Joel Osteen's book? The best life now. Y'all, oh, you've read it. You totally read it. I saw it in your office. He's got three copies, one signed. But it's not about the best life now. Joel Osteen doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, he's probably a nice guy. I don't know him. The best life is not now. The best life is a God looking at us going, this is only a shadow of the life to come. Now, are you supposed to rest? Please rest. Are you supposed to find pleasure? Find pleasure. But everything that we find pleasure in now has everything to do with a group of people joining together in such a way that we reflect accurately who God is so that others might see Him and might join Him and understand that this life is not all there is. Now, here's the last thing and I'll finish. When I was in... Australia I was standing on the ocean I don't know if you've ever been to Australia but the Indian Ocean is absolutely beautiful and um, I just got done playing golf by the way (laughs) stupid golf you terrible people playing golf I just finished playing golf with this guy and he's a he's a uh, admiral in the Australian Navy and so we're sitting there and, and we're just kind of talking about life and I go what happens if you like get into a monsoon what are you supposed to do He goes, well, we'll never get into a monsoon because of today's technology. I go, okay, smarty pants. What would you do if you weren't a part of today's technology? He goes, well, back in the day what used to happen was is that literally the guy, he was supposed to find the eye of the storm. The front end of the storm is the strongest. He's supposed to find the eye of it because he knows if he tries to beat the storm, the storm does what? It beats him. And so they would drive into the middle of it and he said that when driving into the middle of it, what they would do is they would kill their motors and they would allow then this this storm to run itself because we know that when the storm, where does the storm go? To land. And they would understand that getting in the middle of this storm now, this storm is going to grift them and gravitate them exactly where they're supposed to get. And the young, experienced pilot would always think, no, I can beat the storm. And he would always talk about the young man that thought he could beat the storm would take his his crew into a terrible situation. This is the story of God that we're involved in. Do not try to break the storm, because you will not break God. In fact, one of the most freeing things in the world is to go find yourself in the center of who God is, turn off your worry motor, turn off your striving motor, turn off your success motor, turn off all these other motors that are driving you to try to get these different things that this world has to offer. And I'm not saying get lazy, because the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. That's not what I'm talking about. Our hard work now is all about God receiving honor. But it's not about trying to strive to get all these things in life, because there are groups of people trying to beat this storm. And as they're trying to beat this storm, they're getting shipwrecked, and by the way all of you that go out there into the workaday world every single day everyone around you is trying to break that storm and the greatest thing you can do is look at them and go quit stop and invite them to know god because in knowing god and getting involved in his story now he'll take us where he wants us to go as we've been praying for all of you in fact last tuesday as we were praying for you let me put it that way I've been praying that this group of people would be a group of people that with reckless abandon forsake all that this world has to offer for the world that God has for us. I've been praying this becomes this congealed group because you guys know this, that once this group decides to forsake all, it's going to be a radical group of people that calls people into it. And by the way, I'm not talking about just getting big. The big mistake we all make is that we just get big. That's a big lie that Satan puts in front of us. I'm talking about a representative of a group of people that the world looks at and understands they must believe in the resurrection. They must believe in a life to come by how you live, by how you share, how you love. And so we spent about five or ten minutes just praying for all of you that that's what this group would become. And we finished, and this one guy that's on our staff, totally funny guy, he stops and he looks after we prayed for you guys, and he said, well, shouldn't we pray that for ourselves? So we prayed another five, ten minutes for Cornerstone See Me, and then what turned into a prayer that ended up moving itself towards praying for all of our church plans. The thing that we pray is that when we talk cornerstone, is that we talk about a group of people that have number one died, that are holy, that are acceptable, that their worship is about building the church, that they're saying no to the world, that they're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, and they're this group of people now that have so abandoned everything that this world has to offer that they've staked it on the world to come. So that's what we prayed for you. That's what we prayed for Cornerstone Simi. That's what we prayed for Dallas. That's what we prayed for Boise. That's what we prayed for Portland. That's what we prayed for Castle Rock. That's what we prayed for Shoreline. That's blah, 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 blah all of them. That's what we're hoping Cornerstones all over the nation become, is that group of people. And so I'm going to finish closing, and that's what I'd love to pray for. Father, I thank you so much for this precious group of people. God, I believe you designed them to find absolute enjoyment and contentment in you. And God, I pray that they wouldn't try to find contentment in what this world has to offer. God, that um, they would enjoy the things that you've given to us, but that God, instead, that this group would be marked by a group that's not afraid to give up everything that this world has to offer because they believe there's a resurrection to come. God, I know the resurrection isn't as popular as it used to be, but um, I do pray that this group right here honestly would and that out of it people would come to know you as their lord and savior god i believe there are thousands upon thousands in this area that don't know you that you have chosen to call to yourself and i pray that this group becomes part of them god i pray that they don't sell you as this god that's just trying to make people happier but instead they present you as a god that has so much more for them so much for them that this life doesn't have to offer god what i'm asking you to do to this group of people is a miracle Because, God, I know in this room all of us struggle with me. And so, God, trust you with it. Surprise them. God, help them to find joy in that. Satisfaction, God, may it be good, perfect, and complete. We love you in your precious name. Amen.